You don't need me to tell you that there's vast inequality and injustice in the world and that the need for solutions has never been more pressing, perhaps never more so than in Africa. Welcome to this episode of the Just for Change podcast powered by the Bertha Center for Social Innovation and Entrepreneurship. I'm your guest host, Sheloba Mawela, Managing Partner at Siamo Impact Partners. I'm also looking forward to co-hosting the Africa Impact Summit in July, and I'm excited to dive into the complex topic of innovative finance with you today. A note to all our listeners, the Africa Impact Summit has taken place on the 13th and 14th of July in Cape Town, South Africa. This summit serves as a platform for dialogue between leaders from different sectors, influencing impact investing across the continent. For more information or to register for the summit, please go to africaimpactsummit.org. An economic development report shared at the UN Conference on Trade and Development in 2021 reported that poverty levels have declined in most African countries over the last decade, which is great news. However, as many as 490 million Africans still live on less than $2 per person per day, and less than half of all African countries have experienced inclusive growth since 2010. The UN Sustainable Development Goals have gone some way in giving us a framework for what the most pressing human and environmental issues are, especially in developing countries. Many governments and other institutions in the developed and developing world are committed to working towards these goals. We're halfway there and a big challenge to seeing these goals met by 2030 is the lack of adequate funding. And of course, developing countries have the greatest funding gap of all. Developing countries face an average annual funding gap of some 2.6 trillion US dollars in investment in health, education, roads, electricity, water and sanitation. Simply put, we need more money to implement the Sustainable Development Goals. Innovative finance mechanisms can undoubtedly play a significant and important role in what we're doing. The thing I would say is that sometimes these things look like tools looking for a problem. Daniel Stiengam, Senior Project Manager within the Innovative Finance Initiative at the Bertha Centre, recently hosted a panel discussion with some of the leading minds on innovative finance on the continent. Thanks for that intro, Shuluba. I'm honoured to be talking to Andia and Dumisu and Mandy on this panel. How's it, guys? Good to have you with us and joining me on this episode. It's a real privilege to have you share your stories and expertise with us, and I'm looking forward to some debate and hopefully mind-expanding conversations. Let me give our listeners just a quick rundown on who you are and what you do. Andia, you're from Kenya, and you're a global thought leader in gender lens investing, and also one of the first female fund managers in the region, within a wide scope of the ecosystem that covers private sector, women entrepreneurship, interface with the financial services sector, fundraising and donor relations and civil society engagement. It's good to have you with us today. I'm happy to be here. Mandy, you've worked in the ESG space with clients and projects in the public and private sector throughout the last 18 years. 
We've got to know each other when you were the project lead on the Bertha Center's Green Outcomes Fund, which pioneered an outcomes-based funding facility aimed at promoting the uptake of SMME development in the green economy. It's good to have you with us today. Thank you so much, Daniel, for having me. I look forward to a vibrant and robust discussion. And I'm, I feel really privileged to be uh, on the panel with the likes of Ndumisu and Andia. Thanks a lot. I'm sure it will be vibrant. Ndumisu, you're an economist and entrepreneur with extensive experience in the areas of economic analysis, trade and investment research, public policy and corporate strategy. Welcome. Thank you very much, Daniel, for having me. Um, it certainly is a great pleasure to to be sharing this platform with um, the experts that we have here um, today. And so I really look forward to today's conversations. Thanks so much. Excellent. So just a note to the listeners that all the guests you hear on this podcast will be panelists at the Africa Impact Summit in July. And it's not too late to sign up for that. Please follow the link in the show notes. So to... My panelists, I want to ask a question with regards to impact. And the first one that really comes to mind is, what did you say are the themes that you're seeing in the impact investing context currently, especially in Africa? And I'll start with you, Mandy. Thank you, Daniel. Daniel, I would say if I had to think about, uh, I mean, you know, the themes can vary, but if I had to think about three, it possibly would be youth, uh, youth employment and inclusion, um, agriculture and energy. Um, and these could touch on various sustainable development goals, depending on how the interventions are structured. Um, these themes speak quite strongly to our current social and environmental challenges, bearing in mind that these challenges create a market demand to which social enterprises respond. I think another observation you will find is that many of these themes um, can have um, an underlying climate change theme to them. For instance, you might be seeing youth employment in the green economy or climate smart agriculture um, or renewables with a strong alignment to the just energy transition agenda. I think as Africa, our themes will differ from you know, various other parts of the world, but um, my view is those are, those are the three themes that I see coming out quite strongly. Oh, thanks for that, Mandy. I want to cross over to Andia. You are in Kenya, which obviously is Central East Africa. Do you pick up the same themes in that context or would you have a different perspective to it? Yeah, you know, Kenya is fondly known as Silicon Savannah. So there's a big push towards uh, what, can we, what can technology uh, do? And can technology basically uh, promote um, efficiency? Can uh, technology actually uh, promote transparency, um, especially when you're looking at um, accountability systems that technology can create and also the data that you can get from systems that are now integrated um, with technology? There's also the aspect of technology being quite open to widen access. We've seen um, Kenya's uh, rate of financial inclusion shoot up to over 90% simply because a lot of transactions are happening uh, through the phone. Uh, but there's also the, the flip side on technology in terms of making sure that um, aside from widening access, that you're not inherently just widening what is already there 
a digital divide. So I'm seeing from an impact theme, there are people working on um, inclusion. How can you actually create more free Wi-Fi and allow businesses to access this so that they can do more of their businesses online? How can we strengthen some of the e-commerce systems and the payment systems that are around it so that businesses can trade with each other, not only in-country, but across the continent and globally as well? And how much can we be really deliberate about bringing in the informal economy? So the informal economy almost gets counted when you think of what is happening uh, from a mobile perspective, but in everything else is almost um, invisible. So we're also seeing uh, trends where people are looking at, well, how does how can your impact, how can you demonstrate that your impact is reaching um, the underserved? And these are people that would ideally be operating in rural areas. They would be people that are operating um, within what would be called uh, slum areas, but recognizing that they also need goods and services and how can that, how can technology also be impactful to include them and, and also be, um, be able to capture um, their needs. Um, and then obviously being a gender lens investor, all of this has some sort of gender disaggregated data because they're different sort of usage views and we have to be intentional and deliberate to make sure that everything that we're doing with an impact lens is looking at how this impacts um, young women, how it impacts even uh, uh, single mothers, how it can impact just uh, women as pillars of the community to basically make sure that all of that has a triple impact on the families that they end up supporting. Uh, thanks for that, Andia. Would you say, in response to, to Mandy's comment, um, that technology, and you mentioned words like transparency, wider access, inclusion, is actually an underlying theme to all impact investing focused sectors? Um, I, I do think it's an underlying enabler, but I wouldn't assume that it's automatically impactful. I think people have also used technology on the flip side to basically, uh, what should I say, um, affect privacy or even increase a lot of uh, charging charges. It may appear small, but cumulatively, it's actually quite punitive. So I think where the technology is deliberately impactful and where you're using technology with an impact lens, then yes, it will play that role. But I think to just automatically assume where there's technology, there's impact, then we will also be uh, blind to some of the flaws that are coming up within some of the systems that are being created today. I like the word you used there, enabler. It's maybe something to take in consideration as we go forward in the discussion. Indemisa, you're an economist by trade, and you might have a different perspective to these current themes in impact investing. I would like to hear your view to it, especially with a focus on Africa. Well, thanks for that, Daniel. Um, I think um, 
recent events have certainly informed and have served as drivers and motivators for what impact investing um, is shaping out to look like globally, but also in the African uh, context. One of those motivators and drivers has been uh, an increased focus on having resilience. And this is certainly driven by the more recently the COVID-19 pandemic and just how a public health care concern could certainly have um, an adverse effects on the economy, but also on development more broadly. Um, and I think recent events as well, such as the 2008 um, financial crisis, has also certainly sensitized both uh, individual high net worth investors, but also institutional investors in really having ESG considerations when it comes to the structuring of portfolios and also really driving the idea around um, doing well by doing good. Um, I've seen that in the market in terms of various funds that have been launched uh, by various um, fund managers looking to really drive this narrative around what it means for an investor to do well by doing good. Um, and just really to create the, the narrative that this um, impact investing then presents an opportunity towards economic resilience, um, uh, more strengthened um, recoveries, but also uh, an addition in terms of what risk and return and risk management overall looks like. And so those are some of the, the common themes that have been coming out quite recently, really driven by recent events that, uh, that we've seen. I actually want to ask a question on ESG, and I'll get to that just now. I was just wondering, if I look at investment in Africa from a private equity perspective, common themes we pick up is the fintech space, healthcare, education, which differs from what you've just mentioned, all three of the panelists, uh, with regards to impact focus in Africa. Why is that difference? Is that difference from a global North perspective on Africa? And if so, why do we have this different views to what should be the core focus? I think I would then tend to say that one of the nuances that um, we have seen um, in the world of impact investing in not only on the African continent, but globally is in essence what it means um, in different contexts. But in the uh, African and South African environment, um, what have been the common themes have been issues such as um, what is the role of impact investing when it comes to uh, water security? What role can it play um, with uh, green energy and energy more broadly as a, as a global theme, which is also some themes that are quite resonant or resonate quite well in the African market as well. But what I've seen more recently when it comes to institutional and individual investors has been trying to connect what impact investing means in terms of doing well by doing good versus going to a, a traditional um, global equity fund and trying to yield returns from that point of view. The distinction there I found um, fund, uh, fund managers trying to drive the narrative that the two are not necessarily mutually exclusive, that it, you are, we are indeed operating in a parallel world where you are able to indeed um, uh, achieve those financial returns that you're looking for by at the same time um, responding to some of the both immediate and long-term challenges that in actual fact would serve as a risk in terms of how your portfolio would be structured as an investor. So, so I think the education and awareness serves as a big part and I think more immediate um, challenges as well tends to inform the perspectives of uh, various investors depending on the context they find themselves in.
to add to Ndumiso's comment, um, just the perspectives of the panelists, just from the backgrounds that we come is quite vast. So there has been a lot of activity in the space, and I think we're all viewing it from a different lens. Um, and that's why, you know, you, you, you get so many different views as to what is happening. Um, I think as Africa, our themes will differ from the global north because our challenges differ. And why emerging economies are seeing an increased uh, interest from impact investors is because of the opportunities which actually exist in our social and environmental um, challenges that we face. Um, and because of the maturity of the investment ecosystem, as opposed to investment in less developed markets, um, we have the market demand, uh, but the contextual setting and the stakeholder skills may be you know, still lacking. Um, emerging economies can also offer great, uh, you know, greater opportunities of return for investors due to their rapid growth. Um, so it is developing quite quickly. People are still trying to, uh, you know, part of uh, of, it, of the summit which we will be hosting, um, you know, later um, in July. I think uh, what we want to do is understand how we build this market and how we do it uh, collectively as, you know, an African uh, collaborative. Thanks, Mandy. I just want to cross over to Andia quickly. Um, and you mentioned earlier, if I have the words correct, looking at women empowerment. And a word we hear quite a lot these days is the terms, I hope I pronounce it correctly, decolonialization and inclusivity. With these current themes in the impact investing context, how do we actually get to a point of more inclusivity? And how do we actually get women empowered? We've done a recent study on the face of poverty in the South African context, I must admit. And it's shocking to see how women are still really at the short end of the straw with regards to literacy, access to opportunities, access to the workspace, access to funds. So how do we actually address this in our context? And I know it's a very general question, but I would like to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, I, I think there's sort of uh, three ways and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of leaning on, um, on the work I do with the Gresham Michelle Trust when we're, when we're looking at um, empowering women. I think, first of all, we have to recognize that some of the barriers are structural and they actually occur at a policy level. And sometimes the policies are there, but they're not necessarily um, uh, getting utilized. And sometimes there's also that whole aspect of uh, when, the, when you're gender neutral, uh, you become gender blind. So what, what we do from an advocacy perspective is, is give women agency. And this agency differs per country. In, in certain countries, the main issue around women is around, I mean, there, there are certain common themes, but it could be gender-based violence. There's a big issue now about land rights, about women sort of producing 70% of Africa's food, but really barely owning 20% in terms of titles, which then also ripples uh, effect into the access to monetary opportunities uh, because land or any property is seen as an asset that you would ultimately use as collateral um, when you went to get a particular loan. So all of these things um, 
there is a whole advocacy aspect in terms of working within the government and seeing what particular areas that we can do better. I think all the governments have set out to, um, they do have mandates to try and, and, and support women. In Kenya, sometimes there's an issue of political representation. Um, it's, it's gradually changing, but it's still not where it should be. And all of these issues are tackled differently depending on the country. So advocacy is a big one. The other one is basically improving women's networks. And sometimes we take the, the, um, the ability to have networks for granted. The fact that maybe men can socialize. It sounds elitist, but if I say something like a golf course, or we even say bars, or even we say through sports, whereas women, just because of care, because of the cultural sort of expectation, um, that ability to socialize with people that have those opportunities, as well as people that they may actually look as as mentors, those those opportunities don't exist or they're not readily available. So we actually create communities where these are available and actually invite both men and women to, to speak to women about creating, about where these opportunities are and how they can reach them. And then the other really comes down to implementation. There has to be solutions. And sometimes these solutions, um, depending on where, how the problem is, sometimes the solutions are available in the market. So you can take women to those solutions. And these are the solutions that can either improve access or can increase um, usage, can actually make uh, uh, women and children's lives better and easier. But in certain instances, the solutions don't exist. And then you have to co-create them with partners. And what we find ourselves doing is co-creating some of these solutions that don't exist. In that case, um, we're actually building a new table rather than waiting to be invited to sit in a table that maybe you haven't been catered for. So those are some of the ways to, to integrate women, but it has to be deliberate. And it also has to be done in a way that you're not assuming that women are homogeneous. So from an impact lens point of view, you're basically looking for gender disaggregated data. You're also looking for unintended consequences of some of the decisions that could be made. Are you just creating more jobs, but they're, but they're lowly paid jobs? Are you simply actually increasing the number of women um, and giving them, um, should I say, things to do on a farm, but they're actually their incomes are not increasing. So those are all questions that we as the impact investing community, it's not just about counting the numbers, but it really is about changing the lives. And that must be demonstrated in the solutions that are being co-created alongside the communities and the sectors that we're looking to influence. Sure. A few good comments you made there. The one thing that jumped out at me was gender neutral could could equate to being gender blind, which is actually quite dangerous in our African context. And you, you had quite a few critical themes like advocacy in networks and implementation. It makes me think of, which is probably one of my favorite quotes from Amartya Sen, who you probably all know is a, a Nobel Pre, uh, Prize winner, who mentioned that poverty is not necessarily the lack of resources or funds, but it's the lack of opportunities. 
And we see that a lot with women and youth in Africa. So maybe one of the core focuses of impact investing should be to create access to opportunities, whether it's through advocacy or networking, implementation on these various levels and various sectors. Which leads me to a question to you, Indumi. So you've mentioned ESG, which we all know um, if we're involved in the corporate space as one of the burdens of reporting, but also one of the initiatives to try and get companies to be more responsible. And you use the words um, doing well by doing good. I actually want to ask you, does ESG really align with intentionally doing good? Or is it more focused on actually preventing harm? So is ESG the answer here? Or is it just a feel good to soothe the consciousness of rich corporates? Thanks, Daniel. That's a that's a very important question, um, and I, I think that ESG is an important enabler um, in not only impact investing broadly, but in certainly ensuring that meaningful development happens um, in the economy, but also in the communities that you and I live in. Um, but I do think that a precursor for meaningful meaningful ESG practices is that ESG needs to be embedded in the strategy of organizations. Um, and this means, a case in point, the question around um, the how, how companies apply ESG in their various forms, various industries, um, does it, what does that look like? Does that mean that a company needs to have a committee, a subcommittee that focuses on ESG as a separate question that uh, the company responds to? Or should ESG practices be integrated in processes, systems, people management, and 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 just overarching strategy of the organization? The the, the other question would be, um, what is the extent of ESG consideration when it comes to the remuneration of uh, the executives within organizations? What is the weighting of uh, ESG uh, key performance indicators when it comes to how well executives are remunerated? Um, that then I think also has can play as an important enabler, or if it's not taken seriously, then ESG might not necessarily have much meaning um, in that environment. And so I think given where we are now in 2023 and the the evolution that the world of impact investing has taken over the years, um, from merely just moving towards um, um, what was uh, traditionally defined as philanthropy, to now really being a common language and a common discussion around um, the world of investing and certainly being able to derive the the, the required um, returns whilst at the same time contrib- contributing to meaningful development is now a common language that the investment world is having. I think then it certainly bolsters the case um, for ESG to be applied in more meaningful ways. And uh, whether it means uh, there should be a committee in organizations that focuses it on it or remuneration structures that places greater weighting for executives in, in practicing ESG and decision making. I think it can take m- many forms, but I think um, the the common thing or the most important thing is that it certainly needs to be embedded in the strategy of organizations for it to have any meaningful value in the market, but also in communities broadly. So would you argue that it is actually possible in our African context to move from ESG to real impact and still be ESG compliant or does real impact have a different emphasis? 
I, I certainly think that in the African environment, the case to demonstrate and uh, really showcase what meaningful impact investing um, means and what it can look like. Um, the African continent is, is an important case study to showcase to the world. And, and, and I say this specifically in the context of the idea and the narrative of viewing Africa as uh, one of the last investment frontiers. Um, it is a region in the world that, um, unlike uh, other parts or regions in the world, um, in Africa, depending on how meaningful a project or how meaningful the work that a company does, you can easily 10x, 20x um, in terms of returns. It's very rare to find that in other parts of the world. And this is specifically because of the low base of, uh, of development or rather certain areas of underdevelopment in, in, in Africa, which then presents these opportunities. And I think how we're then able to define what that looks like for Africa going forward, whether it be looking at it through the lens of uh, the African Union's 2063 or looking at it through um, the uh, uh, United Nations Principles for Responsible Investing and, and, and. I think there's definitely a great opportunity for Africa to certainly demonstrate in various case studies, in various industries, and in various contexts as to how um, impact investing can have uh, meaningful value and development impact for, 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 for Africa broadly. Mandy, I want to pose a question to you flowing from that. Um, would appreciate your view to whether impact investing is really important. Would it not be better to just create businesses with a lot of jobs, with fair wages, stimulate the economy, pay taxes, and hence actually create impact from a broader economic perspective? What value does impact investing really bring? Daniel, I'm not sure that I can attest to the importance of impact investing at this point. But what I can say is that it brings a plausible financing alternative to the table. Um, we do know that governments and NGOs, their balance sheets cannot support the scale of the challenges that we face. Given the extent of these socioeconomic challenges, I think it's clear that uh, partnership between public and private sector is necessary to achieve um, a sustainable development path. Impact investing definitely offers an opportunity for private sector participation through market-driven interventions. We all know that by 2030, Africa will have the youngest global population. And if the continent doesn't prepare effectively for this, this opportunity will be become our greatest burden and for this reason, joint efforts of both public and private sector participation will become increasingly important. And this is where the importance of bringing various forms of capital to the table, which a mechanism like impact investing does, becomes become very important. It becomes quite important. Thanks, Daniel. You, you, you alluded to this, and maybe just if you can elaborate, what challenge do you think impact investors face in our context. So what's unique in our African context? So I think um, currently what we're facing, and we've seen it on the Green Outcomes Fund, Daniel, um, is the quality and the quantity of projects which um, intermediaries and investors are seeing uh, has not been great. Um, the other thing that I'd like to point out is the lack of maturity of the impact investing ecosystem. And I think um, Andia also uh, mentioned um, some aspects of this. 
uh, including the, you know, the institutional context and the awareness and the skills of the stakeholders. Um, there's a lot of disconnect between understanding what impact investing is, and often it is confused with other um, investing strategies such as ESG or such as um, SRI or social responsible investing. Um, and all of these need to be ironed out. And I think what we need is more pilot projects also to show a proof of concept. Um, thanks, Daniel. And Demisa, flying from, uh, from Mandy's comment, just want to cross over to you quickly. When you talk about impact in Africa, and she mentioned the Green Outcomes Fund, we're talking about outcomes-based payments. In many cases, the focus or the emphasis is on job creation. When I talk about return on investment with investors in the corporate sector, it's about profitability, being responsible, ESG, but running a lean business. What do, you do, what do we do with that tension between leaner businesses with a lower cost center and impact that's focused on job creation in many cases because we have got a massive unemployment rate in South Africa and Africa. We need to empower the youth into the, into the employment sector. How do we deal with that tension between those different objectives? That, that's a great question, Daniel. And I think it, it certainly, it lends itself, um, the response to that lends itself to some of the perspectives that have been shared by my fellow panelists, specifically because the issues that you've raised, um, given the drivers that we've seen in the last while, um, the positioning of those issues of addressing issues of um, unemployment and underdevelopment and energy issues, are no longer viewed or can no longer necessarily view them through just the lens of it being a social issue that is absent from what investment returns uh, an investor is looking at. It's now viewed, especially in the context of Africa, around how do we then manage risk when it comes to investments that are made in this environment. And so as a consequence, um, certainly borrowing from some of the perspectives that have been shared from um, a, a Nobel laureate economist, um, Harry Markowitz, who in the structuring of portfolios um, certainly had, ha had a perspective that said that um, the, a proper construction of portfolios is not just about necessarily listing good stocks versus good bonds or bad bonds, but it's really around presenting opportunities um, and uh, uh, presenting an investor with the necessary protections and a wide range of contingencies given the investment um, outlook or objectives that, that exists there. So in the African environment, given the rate of development that we still need to undergo, the significantly youthful population that we anticipate, um, a growing middle class as well over the next 15, um, 20 years, that is then now viewed, and I think it's actually important to view it through this lens around how then do we look at these issues as through a risk management lens um, in terms of our investments. And so I think uh, borrowing from what Mandy said around a plausible opportunity, um, impact investing then presents that opportunity to say, how then do we then um, better ensure that the sustainability and the returns that we record in the investments um, can be sustained even regardless of whatever shocks that might be experienced in the African um, um, environment. So I think the question of viewing them as either or, increasingly the case in Africa, um, it's presenting, well, at least to me, that it should not necessarily be viewed from, from that lens. Mm -hmm. 
very interesting. And I think you also emphasize that it's a creative tension, but one that we should constantly debate and think about, which is really important in our context. To be honest, each topic we discussed is really um, something that we can probably spend a day on, but we need to conclude. So I want to ask each of you, just in two or three sentences, just on a high level, if you can share your dream or hope that you have for impact investing in Africa, what would you like to see unfold over the next 20 odd years? Well, I would like to see um, the investment community to be less siloed. So I would like to see just more commercial investors uh, really integrating impact within. So whether you're doing infrastructure, I think some of the biggest deals and amounts are happening in in infrastructure, whether uh, some of these investors are not only just doing private market investing, but even on a listed scale even on bonds, that impact is basically embedded within the investment process. In the next 10 to 20 years, I think, I hope um, Africa becomes a trailblazer in the space. We currently have the demand and and investors seem to be keen. So I think we are very well positioned to do well in the space. And I certainly hope we can do that. I certainly hold the view um, that over the next 10 years or so, that uh, when Africa does well, um, the world will do well. And this is certainly premised on the idea that uh, presently Africa's share of global exports is is just under 4%. And I think impact investing and the world of impact investing presents an opportunity to really change that picture. And this is informed by what does um, a, a more developed and industrialized Africa look like and one that speaks more in response to not only the economic needs, but the social needs um, that exist in the continent. Guys, I want to thank you all so much for sharing your insights with us today. It's been a real privilege to have you on the podcast and I learned a lot I'm sure as did the listeners, and there's a lot to go and think about, to go and read about, and to further engage on various platforms, like, for instance, the Africa Summit. So thank you so, so much. Much appreciated. It is incredible to me that the world of funding and finance is innovating and finding new ways of doing things. One of the most regulated and conventional sectors in the world is embracing these shifts, and we need to do the same. It's exciting to think that Africa is leading the charge and challenging the perception both at home and further afield of what is possible. Change might be slow, but what I value most about the financing models, the discussion around impact investing is that profit and purpose can coexist. The impact of this on the power dynamics of finance, wealth and equity is clear. And perhaps the progress towards the SDGs is actually attainable after all. Thank you so much. Keep on learning and keep on listening. Thank you for tuning in to Season 3 of the Just for a Change podcast powered by the Bertha Centre for Social Innovation and Entrepreneurship. If you're interested in hearing more conversations with changemakers, then make sure you subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. If you've enjoyed this content, I'd like to invite you to rate and review it whenever you listen to your podcast and feel free to share it with friends, family and colleagues. Let's stay inspired and keep changing the way we're changing the world.